Hello, everybody. It is great to be here one more time today. And my name is Gary Fowler, and I'm the CEO, President, and Founder of GSD, Get You Done Venture Studios, Premier AI and Quantum Venture Studio, located in the heart of Silicon Valley. A 17-time serial entrepreneur with several unicorns under the belt. Love artificial intelligence and quantum computing. And uh, it's a great day. I've got uh, a friend, Ahmed Rizzo, who's coming in to talk about what's happening in artificial intelligence today and specifically the kind of things that he's working on in his companies so with that let's bring him on hey how are you doing today it's good to see you hey gary thanks so much for having me on yeah no it's great so tell us a little bit about it so tell me about the deal so i read about your your experiences at cornell and you had a kiosk selling incenses and uh, what made you decide to do that oh boy um it reminds me of my very first entrepreneurial venture there. Uh, the best way I can say it is like I was absolutely broke. I was working three jobs after, you know, while going to school. And I just couldn't keep up, you know, and didn't pay enough to just pay the bills. Uh, so a friend of mine in New York City, Arif uh, Billah, who is actually an entrepreneur, has done quite well for himself, um, advised me that he had a source of uh, getting incense as oils uh, and that it would sell well in Ithaca. And I had no idea, you know, I'm a geek, so never really done much of incense oils myself. So I remember going down to New York, going down to the wholesale supplier and picking up the stuff and uh, setting up shop in the kiosk. Um, and lo and behold, that was... Uh, that was better than anything else that I'd done. I guess that was my first taste in like how you can solve things through entrepreneurship, specifically in my case, you know, uh, not having three jobs. <laughs> wow, that's great. And so what kind of margins were on that oil? Because you see these oils all over the place. Oh, my God. Um, so there, there's like theoretical knowledge and then there's like actual knowledge. Like there's stuff that you learn after doing things. Uh, in retrospect, uh, the margins, the margins weren't that great. The margins were, you know, uh, 50, 60% mar margins. And I'm talking about gross margins, right? At the time, I didn't even know what that was called. Um, the, the craziest thing was uh, understanding there were high margin items that did... Uh, that did that did well, but not enough to pay the bills. And then there were these low margin things that were uh, that just kept you know flying off the shelf. Um, I learned the hard way about supply chain, right? Um, you there are certain things. Believe it or not, this has been man over twenty years. There's still things in my garage that I haven't sold. <laughs> <laughs> there's like still like incense boxes in the garage. I just didn't know what to do with it. Huh. Well, but it sounds like you had a good time. It was good. How long did you do that? Uh, I did that until, uh, so I think uh, right up until the beginning of 2002. So when 9-11 happened, it was actually devastating. And um, I got to feel, I got to feel the impact, the economic impact of that, because it wasn't just my little shop, but there was a whole bunch of things that just shut down completely. Um so I guess lots of important business lessons from way back then is, uh, you know, you can do everything right. Things could go very, really well. That's when I hired my very first employee, you know, lear learned a lot of things like 
very in a very practical way. Uh, I actually it motivated me to drop in on business classes. So you'd actually find me at the Johnson School of Business, uh, you know, dropping in on classes that I hadn't signed up for because I'd be like, oh, this is called supply chain and just in time manufacturing, right? Uh, the best thing I took away from all that, though, was try to avoid hardware businesses where you have to have inventory. <laughs> like software is just, just an amazing business model, right? Yeah, 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 you value and things don't spoil. You know? And so you did that. You went out and then, you know, you moved around quite a bit, too. It's amazing, actually. So you did uh, you went up in Ithaca for NASA doing software engineering. How was that after, you know, after doing your stuff with your own business? How did it feel going to work for NASA? It was actually incredible. Like, yeah, I, I geeked out. It was a student job. Um, and th that's an interesting story as well, because I had to drop out of school temporarily because I was I was just so broke when the business didn't work out. Uh, the business was doing well. Like It was making me like I think around 30, 30 something thousand dollars. And once I was able to staff it with other people, you know, this was, you know, as, as they call today, passive income. So I, I was able to go to school, you know, pay my bills. I was supporting my parents at the time as well. And uh, I was able to handle everything. But then uh, once that went under, things kind of just went on credit cards. And it got to a point where I learned uh, to be on the wrong receiving end of compound interest. And I was like, oh, crap, this sucks. So it was so bad that there was just no way that I could keep up with payments and everything else. So uh, I went to quit my job at Space Sciences. Uh, I was a, you know, it was a work study and I talked to Dr. James Houck, who's a wonderful, wonderful human being, God rest his soul. Uh, and he asked, he goes, why are you quitting? Like you're, you're doing a great job. Um, you actually worked on this project that a bunch of PhDs quit and you, you did it successfully. And I explained to him that I'm probably going to go like work at Target or something because, you know, financially I'm in a bad situation. And even though I had a full scholarship, like doesn't matter, you know, those credit cards are going to kill us. You know, I have to pay these bills. So he offers me a full-time position and I go, I don't have a degree. I'm not an engineer yet. He goes, it doesn't matter. You know how to do, uh, you know, these very esoteric programming language that will come in very handy and I'll, he offered me a full-time position on the Spitzer Space Telescopes program at the time called CERTIF. So I was over the moon. That was probably one of the highlights of my life, personally, when I look at it. Well, that had a great feeling going from not, not having a job and having some challenges all the way to getting a full-time job. Oh, it, it was incredible. It was one of the best jobs ever. Like, you couldn't get me out of the place. So you, you, if you could show up at midnight, I was there. You could show up in the morning, I was there. Like, I, I loved it because uh, you get to work with really smart people, uh, really amazing scientists, right? And you get, if you're a geek, it's like, it's, it's even now, till this day, that was some of the coolest stuff that I did incredibly challenging and though it wasn't a startup um I, I learned to love technical challenges i learned to love uh you know discovering things and uh, i got a question for it now did they ever talk about ufos and this unidentified alien threat programs and all this stuff that <laughs> you were talking about the cosmic there had to be some talk about that stuff out there <laughs> Oh, man. Surprisingly, we did not talk about UFOs very much. We were very much about the stars and about like electrons and whatnot. 
Um, yeah, I'm trying to recall if we had any serious UFO talk. I think just philosophical ones. Mm-hmm. But scientists are very proper people, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So not a lot of UFO talks. One of the one of the highlights though of my social uh, life uh, among them was with uh, Don Barry, who's kind of my mentor there. It taught us how to make uh, how to fry ice cream. That was something new. Fry ice cream? Yeah, you could like uh, put ice cream and a bunch of like cornflakes, and then you can take and put it in a deep fryer. Man, <laughs> it comes out amazing. Oh my god, that sounds good. That's great. Yeah, no, there's just a lot of activity now. It seems like it's opened up Senate hearings, et cetera, about the unidentified uh, alien threats and those kind of things. And just curious, it's interesting to see where it's going to go. But yet you were in the heart of it. So you went from there. So you spent, what made you decide to leave if you liked it so much? Why did you go to Orlando? So what happened was once the, once the, uh, once the rocket takes off after that, Things are a lot, lot calmer. Um, I helped build the image processing pipeline for it. Um, and actually, I got published in the newspaper uh, for it being in that project. And suddenly, the dean of engineering is like, how come this kid's a dropout? Right? Um, and they say, well, you know, he, was, he had some financial challenges, other challenges. And I got myself to a point where I could go back to school for one semester, just one. Right. Like I had enough money. I would, I could go to one semester school for one semester and not have to work. And uh, I remember going to the Dean and going, I need to take 34 credits. He goes, I might've looked at your transcript. Like you, you've ne- that's insane. Right. 34 credits of senior level class. <laughs> that's insane. It's like, you're go- so Apparently, they took bets. Uh, some folks in the engineering, uh, you know, uh, school staff later on emailed me that they actually like took bets as to how badly I'd fail. And, you know, relatively speaking, I aced it because wow. the folks didn't understand what it's like to be poor and to have like three jobs while you're trying to go to Cornell, like while you're trying to do all these things. And that was like the one semester that I could go and really do whatever I wanted. So after that, uh, you know, there were a lot more opportunities, you know. Uh, Did you graduate from Cornell with those two? Yeah, so I graduated, right? As soon as I... You know, people don't realize, you know, when you don't have money and you have to do something, you know, I grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania. You don't have money and you got to go out and work. There's some kind of fear factor that's inside of you. You know what it's like on the other side and you don't want to ever go down there again. Oh, oh my God, right? So it's funny because... I had this business, but I never considered myself an entrepreneur, right? It was just what I had to do to not be broke. Um, so looking back in retrospect, there are so many things that I could have done differently. Um, for example, I could have been one of the earliest employees at Google. Uh, one of my professors was instrumental in like, you know, the foundations or foundational steps in Google. Uh, but at the time I was like, man, I'll just go to work wherever. So the way I picked where to go to work was um, they flew us down to Florida mm-hmm. during the rocket launch. And Ithaca, as much as I love it, is a pretty miserable place to be. That's why my wife and I met in Ithaca and we were united by our mutual distaste for overcast, cloudy skies mm-hmm. all the time. Well, I mean, in the summertime, I used to go boating up the finger. Oh, summertime's amazing. Unbelievable. The people yeah. were nice. Uh, although... I, I, rem- I don't know if I told you, I remember going out and swimming in that uh, 
I, we had sailboat and a power boat and this girlfriend of mine's father had the sailboat and a couple of bloody Mary's too many. And he said, you know, her cousin was in this other boat. And was, Why don't you, um, you should go over and meet him. And I said, oh, okay. And I just jumped in the water. That was water is cold. Really, really cold. Even in June, it was freezing cold. I thought it was going to get hypothermia. And I, I got out there and I said, this is the dumbest thing I think I've ever done. <laughs> I go over swimming, you know, but what a beautiful place. Just amazing. For those couple of months in the summertime, it's one of the most beautiful places. But I, I can't imagine in wintertime what it's like. Yeah, actually, early on, the movie industry used to shoot movies there back in the early 1900s until they realized that during the summer, it's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. I mean, wintertime is gorgeous, too. Uh, it's just that the threat of death increases exponentially mm -hmm. when there's tons of snow on the ground <laughs> and it's really hilly and treacherous. Uh, so summertime, wonderful. But wintertime, we just wanted to get out of there. And the options were Florida, California. And I kind of did the analytical thing where I was like, well, I've been to Florida. I was in Cocoa Beach during the rocket launch with a bunch of geeks. They're smart people. You know, it, it, there's no state taxes. And it just like, I was just like, this is, this seems like a good place to go to. Then I got this, uh, it was, I went to an interview for a company and after they interviewed me, they said that, uh, we love you, but you are going to, you're going to be super bored with us, but we have this government research division that are doing some pretty crazy things that I think you'd fit in. You'd be, you'd be the youngest team member there. And normally they don't take junior team members, but this is with Stricom. And I ended up doing, uh, I ended up doing some artificial intelligence for UAVs there. Right. Mm -hmm. It was really cool. It was right next to UCF. Um, it was it was fun for for a bit, but this was during the Afghan war, and uh, I think that was when I realized like this is really cool. But at the same time, I wanted I wanted to do something else. I wanted to do something outside of government because government, while the work you do can be very challenging and very informative and educational, there are issues. If you're entrepreneurial, oh man, talk about. <laughs> Talk about red tape, right? The red tape, I think, eventually drives a lot of us to go towards things that are more startup y. So, you did that, and then you went to what made you decide you're all this, you know, this uh, incredible space technology? Why'd you go to Superchips? Superchips was a startup. I mean, it was the uh, it was the opposite, right? Like, we hacked cars and made them go faster. It was just so cool. Right. And now how much um, increase when you put a new chip in and an average car? Well, how much faster could a car go? So uh, actually, you don't even have to put a chip in. It started out with putting chips in. It was started in the UK. But when it came to US, you just hook up uh, to your OBD2 connector. Right. And you'd reprogram the ECU and the car would go way faster. Um, I had a Trailblazer SS that made an extra hundred horses. Oh, my God. That's unbelievable. They right. Just the engine up when you go that much faster with the car. Uh, so because I was in the R and D side, right. Mine literally blew up and the piston went through the engine block. They, <laughs> a GM did not like us. They flew an engineer down from Detroit 
to see this, you know, LS2 engine. LS2 engines are legendary. That, they're what they put in Corvettes. Yeah, yeah. They don't fail on racetracks. And they were like, how the heck did one fail in a Trailblazer SS? So I remember my car being in there and the general manager of the dealership calling me going, yeah, they found out you work for Super Chips. You're going to have to pay for the engine. <laughs> really? How did they find out? <laughs> they just asked. They were like, who's the owner? Right. Oh really? Like, did you flash the car? I was like, yeah, we flashed the car. Wow! And so you did that. You have you you went down through that experience, got a couple of years there. Then you go out and you started. You worked for NCR. Was that in Florida too or no? So I actually didn't work for NCI. I worked for another startup. So Super Chips got acquired by MSD Ignition, mm -hmm. and then I went on to work for a company called Kinetics. So Kinetics built your check-in systems. So if you fly out of any airport, you know, the little kiosk, we yeah. own 80, like 80% 80 of that market. It was wow. just kinetics. It was, it was started out of a garage in Florida. Uh, when I joined, they were more established. Um, it was just an amazing, amazing place to work. But I realized I love startups um, because they take care of their people. Like it's very similar to the feeling that you get like working at NASA. You work nights, weekends, you're working with smart people. And you get paid to do it. You get paid pretty well. So this was during uh, the housing crisis. Uh, so it was weird for me because I never, you know, I, I, I'm not a hype type person. So, but I do startups and I do tech. Tech that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And there was the first exit from Super Chips, and then there was the Kinetics thing, and then Kinetics was bought by NCR. So I was right at that time. So I did did all right. I was like, That's I don't know what everybody's great. complaining about. Your know, life is pretty good. No, congratulations. And then you went to Jet. But then you went to JetBlue. How was that after doing all these dynamic so, companies? Once NCR bought us, like I really understood the travel space well. Uh, mm -hmm. my, great, uh, my great envy was the fact that all, all of my clients got to fly for free. They got to live this crazy lifestyle. Uh, and I was trying to think, what, what do I do next? So that was actually another startup also. So there was a startup that was spun off by Harris that turned into live TV and live TV uh, figured out how to install a, an antenna on top of the aircraft to get television while you're flying in the air. Uh, and then they pioneered satellite internet. Like well, I remember that was, yeah. Jeff Blue was like fantastic. You watch TV. Yeah. Jeff Blue. I love Exactly. TV. So this is the next era. So you had the go-go in-flight where it was uh, pointing down towards the ground to get 3G internet, but it's like really crappy internet, right? So this kind of tied my NASA experience together with, uh, you know, the something new with my travel. Uh, and here, the biggest things that we had to overcome was the seven, 700 millisecond ping response delay that you get when you're up in the air because here you're up in the air you're talking to a satellite which is talking to the ground and it's like that round trip takes a lot of time mm -hmm. so we actually had to work on some pretty challenging very fundamental basic internet acts we had server we actually have servers on the aircraft that do really really fancy um hacking but like not in a bad way right hacking caching you know loading your content so uh learned that hey if gary's coming on board we know that gary has a ticket for the flight he's coming on board we can proactively load a lot of the content that he might watch so give him a faster oh that's, that's, that's right? i love that right uh 
was crazy, crazy fun experience. And I remember when the Viasat satellite launched. This is years before uh, you know uh, spa uh, SpaceX launched Starlink. I was I was like, oh my god, if this thing crashes, I don't have a job. <laughs> right? If this thing crashes, there's no internet. There's no you know uh, there's no high speed internet. Uh, and then fortunately, it made it. Um, worked on some contracts after the side after that, uh, but that's really where. I finally got woken up to the fact that I should probably start my own startup, except I'm three startups in. I've never looked at myself as an entrepreneur. You know, business had always been this side hustle that I hid from everyone else um, because that was just an evidence of like me being really broke. And I had to go do these extra things to pay, you know, to pay bills. Uh, but after the after this one, uh, I just wanted to go build something on my own. And having seen it myself, having seen what success looks like, I had a good feeling uh, that I'd be able to recreate some of it. Right. And then you went to Prep Hub. What was that all about? Because you were doing a nonprofit, right? Yeah. So the nonprofit was interesting because uh, I met with Mike Milken. In, uh, so my dad had passed away uh, and I was trying to figure out life. Like I'd done all right financially. And I was trying to find something that was like, fulfilling and not just money. Uh, I talked to Mike and he asked me a very crucial question. He said, you know, the amount of money that you need just to be free, just to be happy is actually not that much. What do you believe in Ahmed? What is, what is the way that you want to see the world change? I thought really hard about it and I realized I really believe in geeks. I really believe in fellow geeks. Like there is just this innocence. There is this, you know, drive to build things, to, to serve humanity, to serve others. And if I was, if there was one thing that I wish there was more of in the world is empowering geeks to do more, like letting them lean in. Um, I had no idea what I would do uh, that we'd build startups, but we basically started um, a hacker news meetup. Uh, and because we called it, uh, you know, a hacker meet, we couldn't find any locations in the Melbourne area that would allow us to host it because very defense heavy. They were like, oh no, you guys are going to come in hoodies and, you know, but there was a cafe that allowed us to meet. Our first meetup was five people and the three of them were people that I knew that I begged to go and two people showed up. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. There's two other hackers in the city. Well, lo and behold, in less than uh, six months, we were a thousand plus strong. Wow, we rented out the first floor of this building just because like we needed a space. Uh, and the reason it was a nonprofit is because we were all like hacking on our own startups or, you know, open source projects or something. And we didn't have the brain power left to figure out how to make money off of whatever the heck this was, but we knew it was good. <laughs> so we're like, we're going to make it a nonprofit. I remember sitting around going like, so how does this make money? I was like, my brain hurts. It's like, it'll be a nonprofit. We'll, I'll just give money to it. Like the economics makes sense. You know, rent isn't hard to cover and this is something worth preserving. So well, that um, must have been fantastic. And you did it for a long time, 11 years, right? So yeah, TrepHub is still running. Uh, so TrepHub allows people to basically get off, get their projects, get their dreams off the ground, mainly by leveraging the community around them the community of developers and geeks. Uh, we still organize meetups uh, and I'm doing the same. That's kind of like my mission. Um, I'm doing the same in Silicon Valley. 
I moved here in 2017 um, and I organized meetups or on AI or on different things uh, just to help power geeks. And I realized it's not just money. It's knowing smart people. It's getting good mentors, people who have been there, done that. And that's sort of what we did with, with Trepa. We weren't so much money focused. We were a lot more, you know, connection focused. We helped launch 30 plus startups uh, that did pretty well, including mine. You know, mine was kind of incubated there. My, uh, and it was bootstrapped. Um, we, there was, wasn't really a venture scene there at the time. There is one now. Um, so being able to bootstrap those startups, you know, learn from other founders. Um, one of our very early investors was Keith Donald, uh, who's one of the co-founders of SpringSource. And there are so many impressive folks that just come out of the word work when you realize there's a lot of us geeks. There's a lot, you know, my experience isn't unique, right? There's a lot of others who have built these, you know, uh, these like yourself, actually, right? Like when you meet, when you meet these folks who have built tech companies, um, what do they want to do? They want to give back and they want to, you know, contribute to this uh, creative endeavor, this collective creative endeavor to help make the world uh, a better place. That's exactly right. I mean, the thing is, you know, we're all over Africa, Indonesia, Malaysia, all over the place. In fact, we've now got 139 country, companies from 59 countries around the world that are some of the best AI companies I've ever seen, and they just need a voice. And the other part is what they need, you know, it's interesting, Albert, because we bring the marketing piece so on one side of it, you're coming at the tech side of it, and you've come in in the middle of the business. I come from the, the business side of it, coming into the tech side of it. And so you understand the problems, and then once you have the contact and network, like you have, you can change things. You can make the world a better place. You can give a voice to those companies, help them become – just had one of my companies just got an unbelievable valuation based on some contacts. Another one was a family office that invested in a company that is, um, and not only invested in the company, but actually bought their entire first, uh, their inventory of their products. So it's it's a hardware product and AI and all of it. They bought all of this stuff. And so that's the way if we can bring the voice and look at the world and democratize opportunity. So it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're in Pennsylvania or Ithaca, New York, or uh, Lagos, Nigeria, to be able to, to bring that experience to everybody is great. So how did you come up with, so now you're doing Yobi. Oh, by the way, how does it feel being in San Francisco after being out in, Cal in uh, Florida? Uh, I made the move in 2017. There were some events that happened personally that were disturbing. Um, okay. I, I sensed a very, sh you know, stark shift in the world. And, and I think all of us have, right? The, like the polarization okay. had gotten pretty bad. Um Moved to San Francisco, moved to the Bay Area, had a lot of friends from college here. Um, and I didn't move here for what traditionally what people move here for is like, they want to move here, they make it, right? So I'd already built uh, the previous business up to millions and revenues, like life is pretty good. So I was basically going to be facing a little bit more rent, although I did face other things. <laughs> Like losing all my AI guys to Google, Facebook, and others who pay. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a big problem. You know, when I first brought my company over, Findo, and then Eva, I had the same thing. It's like you bring these talented engineers over, and all of a sudden they're poaching them. You know, right. pay them, a, you know, twice as much money, and you know, there's no way you can do it. And you're kind of like you're stuck. You know, you just you can't do it. 
financially you can't do it, you won't be invested. Yeah, in my case, like that forced me to kind of get out of my comfort zone and understand like, hey, I'm, a, I'm doing things that are valuable, right? But there's more than millions here, right? That, that's the reason because at the end of the day, if there isn't value, people don't just throw money at things randomly. Right. Um, and even even the even the folks with abundant amounts of money like Google and Facebook, you know, I was wondering, I was like, how does the math work? The math can't possibly work. And it didn't. So you saw the huge rounds of layoffs and other things. Uh, and then the narrative started falling apart that uh, large companies are stable and, you know, they're never going to let you go. No, they will. They will. They will. Because at the end of the day, the laws of physics are the laws of physics and they apply to all of us. A little yeah. bit different for large companies in a small company, at least uh, in a startup like mine. You at least know where you stand and pretty straightforward about it. Um, yeah, every day, every day and almost to the penny, right? Especially if you come from the situation. You know, I grew up on a farm in Pennsylvania and we didn't have a lot of stuff in the, on the farm. And I remember every penny, every nickel. Every dime, everything counts, and no matter what, no matter how much you got, you're always looking at it to figure out what it is. Not in a bad way, just to make sure you're, you know, keeping yourself real with this stuff. But what you've done, so with Yobi, you've done, you know, so tell us a little bit about Yobi and, you know, you're doing all your social media calls, messages in one place. So how does this, you know, and this generative AI stuff's really exciting, but how did you come up with that idea and where are you today with it? So it was kind of, inspired by my previous startup where I did marketing for dentists and we were able to help generate an extra $400,000 a year in revenue on average for the dentists by you know, using AI to listen in on calls, transcribe and attribute them to the correct marketing. And I, after having sold that company and even by Silicon Valley standards doing well with that exit, uh, I was a private equity guy for a little bit, not, uh, not a GP, but an LP. And I started understanding business itself, like the domain a little bit better. And I, and I realized that there's a so much more just being technical. I know that there's so much more that AI has to offer. And I'm talking predictive AI. I'm talking stuff that, you know, was promised that was just thrown away because people, people kind of lost interest. Um, and that's where I thrive as an entrepreneur is like, where, where's the opportunity? Mm -hmm. And in 2019, to me, it was just crystal clear. The opportunity is in artificial artificial intelligence. And for me, at least, uh, the B2B space, understanding it really well, is that if I could simplify it a little bit, because it's complicated, the value is complicated. If I could simplify it, if I could unify all the communications, not just phone calls, right? If I could unify all the communications and give me all of your data, I can build a brain in the cloud that will probably run many aspects of your business so much better than you can, that will give you more free time. Uh, and with generative AI, so this was early days of generative AI, you could see early glimpses of what could be done. Uh, my original idea was that I would use generative AI and this conversational agents to train, uh, to manage the dentists or to manage the business people themselves. So I know we call them AI assistants, but you know the more appropriate term would be AI, AI bosses or AI executives, right? The ones that can keep, uh, that are meticulous, can keep an eye on all of these things and and assist your business, right? And can let you know, hey, here's uh, like if you had a chief marketing officer, what would that chief marketing officer say to you? And what would, what, how would your interactions be? And what value would you bring, right? As an entrepreneur, that's what we do. We try to 
hire people better than us at these specific roles. So that's what we set out to build. We built an initial version. Uh, originally, we didn't know if we were going to get a lot of traction. Lo and behold, like it did get a lot of traction uh, during COVID. People were home. I'm like, this is the time to strike. If, the, if any business owner is going, what does the future look like? Now they have a lot of free time. Their businesses shut down. So we launched on the App Store during COVID. And uh, we went from like 300 downloads to all of a sudden 1,000, 2,000. Then when, once we got to the 10,000 mark, yeah, you know, I compared to other startups in the dental field before, if you had more than like 10,000 customers, you're a billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. And I go, okay, I've got something here. I've got something here. Now I got to figure out how to make the product, you know, how to make the product a lot better and deliver the AI. Yeah. And something that I've learned from the likes of Microsoft and others is, you know, don't celebrate mediocrity. Like when there's space, go take markets. This is what I've learned about Silicon Valley, right? You go take markets. Don't celebrate like, oh, I got a few billion dollars. Go take markets. Because once you take markets, not only do you get money, you actually get to shape, uh, you get to help shape humanity in ways that we hadn't really thought of. I'm sure the social media companies didn't think that they were going to be uh, ushering in the new world order, but inadvertently, you know, my fellow geeks here have done exactly that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is a, it's interesting times. we got a lot of challenges in front of us. You know, Indian Ocean's up six degrees Fahrenheit. Um, average temperatures off the coast of Florida over the last week were 101 degrees, the highest recorded temperature wow. in history. 99.7 was the highest in Kuwait. And um, then you've got the Atlantic Current slowing down. And that was a project I worked back on back in 1992 with a guy from uh, Caltech in Princeton on uh, nonlinear methods and uh, weather forecasting. Anyhow, the challenge we have in front of us, we got to go down through. We got a lot of things to solve and we got to learn how to get together and have companies like yours work together. We got to have companies like yours that that help bring us together because it's it's going to take all of us to get through some of the challenges we have in front of us. You know, uh, we're working on um, from the farm to the table. We got to increase food supply. We got to double by 2050 and can't increase the number of cattle because 26% of pollution is methane gas from cows. So, pretty simple. We need plant based protein and we got to increase crop yield. So, these kind of things, you know, having technologies that the, the generative AI that can go out and help us be able to uh, make better decisions and make decisions for us in a better way are just critically important. It's not like if, it's like now. You know, so absolutely. That's actually even for me, having been in the space for so long, you know, some of this stuff is really magical. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it exists. I personally, like in my head, you know, I was expecting some of this stuff to be here in 2030. But here we are in 2023, right? Uh, it's quickly, it's unbelievable. What how nature of exponential. Exponential is hard to understand. It's hard for us to grasp. Most of the times when we think of the future, we think somewhat linearly, right? Uh, and what we're seeing, what we're experiencing live real time is exponential. Exponential is really difficult. Yeah. I agree. You know, I just, I saw this thing yesterday with some scientists. I think you'll love this. And anyhow, they were talking about humanity and they said, you know, that humanity is going to evolve into a digital form. You know, so the singularity on steroids. And what they said, it was quite interesting. These are top scientists, by the way, from places like Harvard, MIT, uh, Cambridge, they said that I uh, believe that there's life 
out in the universe with the you know 100 million planets in the Milky Way, 2.2 trillion galaxies, estimated galaxies in the universe. But there's life out there, but it's really in a digital form, and it's waiting for the universe to cool down because it'll operate at 10 times as fast. And it was just, I didn't ever think of it like that. It was just really interesting. And um, so, you know, the but the opportunities in front of us, and, you know, you're right about it. You know, if you go down through like you have and I have, and you've had to start at square one, and you understand what square one's like, it makes it a lot easier to understand how, you know, going to the next level, what it's like and how much better it is and not wanting to go back and going forward is important, but also should be democratized across, you know, the world, right? We should all have an opportunity to be able to, you know, unleash our human potential. So if we're in Nigeria or Ghana, Zambia, or here or wherever in the deep South or uh, North, we all should have equal opportunities and technologies like yours does, if you use it properly, can equalize it and help everybody. Absolutely. And it can build bridges. So like, I love Italy, you know, it's one of my favorite countries in Europe. And, uh, you know, I think Italian is an amazing language. Uh, I, I, I know how to speak five languages. Italian is not one of them, but thanks to AI, I can now finally speak Italian. So here's. So what I can now do is communicate through my synthetic clone to Italians uh, and hear from folks who are Italian, right? And once you, I know you travel a lot, Gary, you, you know folks from all around the world and you know how it opens up your mind and it makes you understand the common, like the, the, the many commonalities in humanity. And instead of going us and them, it brings us together. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what I'm hoping that we do. You can use deep fakes for really bad things, or you could use it to, you know, build bridges across cultures. You can use that. translations to open up new levels of knowledge and wisdom from folks. Yeah, there's touch points. You know, I, I, when, I went to, uh, when I went to university, I ended up uh, getting a free ride to becoming a psychologist. And I didn't, it was just something I just did it just because I got a free ride, to be honest with you. And anyhow, but when I went down through it, I was working in, you know, on the mainframe computer and I started to understand the complexities of that computer. And I said, what happens when the, the, that reaches 60,000 complex transactions a day? It's going to change everything. This is a long time ago. And then we look at the challenges that we have in front of us and the tools like yours that democratize the opportunity and you're right about it that's touch points of humanity are important for us to get together you know on a on a one-to-one -one basis we start to understand each other a lot better so you know hats off to you you know we are actually over time and I, i've enjoyed the conversation i'll have to get you back again i really appreciate it so what's your advice out there i mean there's people all over the world that watch my show and um what was the one if you look at what would you say to those persons in a similar situation to yourself, where they're, you know, they're starting from scratch, they don't have a lot of money, but they have dreams and they want to do a startup, what would, what would you say to them right now? It's really interesting. You know, one, one of the things I love about your uh, uh, get shit done, right? <laughs> it's like at the end of the day, uh, entrepreneurship is about having a bias towards action, getting shit done. You know that that works. So if you're one of those people and you're always like, oh, my God, I just can't get enough done. 
I hope you're super excited about the age of AI because you're going to be able to get a lot more shit done. <laughs> <You're gonna laughs> I love that. <laughs> the age of AI and getting a lot more shit done. It just, yeah, that is perfect. I love that. That is great. And uh, how do people reach out to you? So we have investors all over the world. We've got potential partners. How do they get a hold of you? So there's, there's several ways, but I'll give something that's a little bit uh, different. Uh, because I have a synthetic agent that responds on my behalf, you can actually send me a text at 402-698-3599. Again, that's 402-698-3599. And my synthetic agent follows up uh, with you directly if you want to converse. You can also follow me on LinkedIn, on Twitter. And I try to be one of the most uh, accessible CEOs in Silicon Valley, mainly because you know being augmented by AI is a, it's a crazy hack to have. And I think in the future, everyone will have it. No, it's great. And listen, stay on. I'm going to uh, run the um, the last piece here, but stay on and we'll talk for a few minutes. Okay. All right. Um, put on. And I would just want to say before we, um, we go, thanks everybody for joining one more time. GST presents Silicon Valley AI and tech. And my name is Gary Fowler and I'm your host. Stay happy, stay safe, and stay healthy. And I'll be back to you again on Thursday for another exciting edition. Thank you very much, and I'll see you soon.